to Nicosia and Kat. In this episode, we discuss how the Bayrams were celebrated in the old times in Cyprus. We covered the latest on the Turkish Cypriot leadership election. We briefly touched upon the elections in Alanca and the latest developments among Cyprus, Turkey and Greece and the warmongering on the media. And Kemal used Bayram and his age to get me to kiss his hand, but uh, there is COVID. Andromahi Efkaristo Baraboli. Um you know we have this uh, tradition of uh, Bayrams uh, twice a year. One lasts for three days, the other one lasts for four days. And um, you know we always remember it, acknowledge it as a family time because I remember back in times when I was a kid, uh, it is still the tradition nowadays, but in the past it was doing more uh, frequently. You used to spend that uh, three, four days to go and visit your relatives, the ones you generally don't see. Eh, you, don't, you didn't have, a, you know, um, social media at that time. So, and the other thing is that uh, Muslim um, Islamic uh, f- f- feasts, Bayrams, are based on lunar calendar, which means that every year it it you know it is earlier for 15 days so i remember in the you know in the old times we used to celebrate them in the winter time we used to celebrate it in the summer time we used to wear different things one of the traditions at the time was of course uh, in the old times you used to you know buy new clothes if you could if you could have afford it and uh, visit your um relatives and of course uh, go to the festivity areas back in uh, up until late 1930s um, the Turkish Cypriots were going and celebrating it in the festivity area of Nicosia in in the Sarai Square really and um, so it was part of our multicultural uh, history you used to go and uh, kiss hands of the old elderly people that's also a, a show of respect and the children used to get some bonbons or uh, or some uh, you know pocket money is is it a big thing like in the turkish cypriot community i mean especially now with covid would you say that the celebrations have been at all influenced generally everybody has bayram i mean it's the, the, the shops are closed especially the first day people say e bayram large and uh, the, especially the relatives are okay maybe not the distant ones but the close ones are visited, grandparents especially. And um, the second day, sometimes your aunties, your uncles, you come together around the table. And most of the time, third day, the life is almost like uh, back to normal or the fourth. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's good to know a bit of a background behind, uh, you know, what Bayram is, etc. And it's funny because we live in a country where... I mean, you know what Christmas is, you know, yes, I mean, yes. you know what this We celebrate as well, but we don't celebrate Christmas, we celebrate New Year. However, funnily enough, we embrace most of the Christmas traditions, like the tree, the sock, yes. the, 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 the presents, the lights, Noel I Baba. Yes, I remember some friends of mine when I was telling them that, uh, you know, that the Turkish Cypriots, I mean, uh, it's, uh, they use Christmas trees and everything and they, they were finding it a bit difficult to grasp, you know, and, 
Yes, this mixture of, 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 of cultures on the island. And of course, now uh, the, we celebrate Bayram, but we are also preparing for the elections, the Turkish Cypriot elections that's going to take place yes. in October. And there was a, there was a, I don't know to what extent it was a shock, but uh, there was a surprise move. Was it a surprise move by Sertar Denktaş who decided to run? It is a kind of a surprising move. He was a candidate before the COVID uh, thing and then he decided that he's not running anymore because in the uh, polls he wasn't doing well but now I think um, he found a new opportunity I think he sees a new opportunity he's, he's aware that the coalition government has not been doing very well and uh, probably he wanted to show himself as, a, as an alternative candidate to those who are not happy with the coalition government leaders, Ersin Tatar and um, Kudret Özersay, but also the ones who are not pro-solution or pro-federal solution and who do not want to vote for um, Akıncı or Tufan Erhül. And uh, what do you think, I mean, how, how will this reflect on pro-solution candidates, would you say? There are different discussions. It's early to say. Um, we know that um, some people who are not necessarily pro-solution or pro-federal solution, they would still, they were still considering to vote for Akinci for different reasons. For one, because they were seeing him as a decent candidate. Two, because he was standing up against uh, for the community. So uh, some people believe that. Uh, he will still moderate from Akinci, but if you look at his background, Serdar Denktaş, he has traditionally been a, a right-wing candidate. So probably uh, he is also getting um, votes from stealing votes from Tufan Erhurman and and right-wing as well. So we will see. So uh, Tadar and Uzersai, they have uh, denounced uh, a federation, basically. Is Serdar's, uh, like clearly against the federation or is he more of a, uh, in a middle ground? He is not necessarily pro-federation, but he is not necessarily staunchly against it. He believes in a, in, in a two-state solution or a confederal solution or a federal solution which is not necessarily very centrally strong, I would say. So yes. he is not as, uh, let's say, he is not as uh, anti-federal uh, solution as Ersin Tatar, for example, I would say. That's why it will be interesting to see how this plays out in the in the run-up to the elections. So. But again, it is wrong to think that the Cyprus problem will be the only issue uh, in, the, in, the, in the elections. I, I believe there are different um, dynamics like in each and every election that takes place. Also in, this, in these elections uh, will be playing the, the party alliances, the, the likes and dislikes towards the candidates. So we will see. But talking about elections, there I have yes. been seeing posts about elections in Alanja. Alanja is basically a neighborhood of Nicosia, isn't it? Yes, well, it's a municipality and yes, there are elections on Sunday, the 2nd of August. And the reason why there are elections, there are exceptional elections, because the former mayor of Aglanja is the current minister of defense of the Republic of Cyprus. He was, um, he got that position in the recent reshuffle by President Anastasiadis that took place in July. 
so yes, there are elections and it is interesting to see how uh, the discussion on, on, on refugees has come back on the table and is influencing even um, a municipal election. I don't know to what extent you followed, but there is this whole huge discussion in Aglanja where a center for, for vulnerable asylum seekers will be basically, will run in Aglanja in Nicosia. There was this demonstration uh, last week. Basically, there were two demonstrations. There was one demonstration that was uh, opposing the center to be set up there. If you read the the call to the demonstration, it was basically, you know, it was a, a xenophobic call. It was a call referring to uh, foreigners who will endanger the properties and lives of, of, uh, of people in the neighborhood. And so you had that demonstration running and there, and there was a counter demonstration from people who were basically saying that, uh, the asylum seeking, uh, center should run in Aglanja. And it was interesting to see many slogans reminding people that many people and residents of Aglanja uh, used to be refugees because Aglanja is a relatively new municipality when it comes to uh, becoming um, the size that it is today. So it is interesting to see how elections played out in those two demonstrations because you had, you basically had a lamb. Uh, Elam supported the, the demonstration opposing the center. And then you had the candidate for DC attending that demonstration. And you also had the candidate of Diko, who is also supported by Akel, uh, attending the demonstration. And on the contrary, you had Efik Santhu, who is the Green Party, who is the Green Party candidate, uh, who refused to attend the, the demonstration uh, opposing the center in Aglanja. There are two interesting things here. On the one hand, this, uh, this center for vulnerable asylum seekers is partly funded by the government itself. So you had that huge oxymoron in which the candidate of the government party attended a demonstration opposing a center that is partly funded by the government and that uh, and that has government approval. And it wasn't only the candidate, it, even the uh, C spokesperson, uh, uh, Dimitris Dimitriou, attended the demonstration. So you had that on the one hand. And then you had Akel, the, the candidate that Akel also supports, attending the demonstration opposing the, the center. And Akel has been the only party that has been so vocal on the issue of refugees and on the issue of asylum seekers. And it was, it was interesting to see how the discussion played out after the demonstrations because you had basically Akel excused itself by saying that, uh, you know, the candidate, uh, his name is Cortas, the candidate is, um, is pro refugees and everything, and he and he has done a lot uh, for Aglanja and for refugees in Aglanja because this candidate used to be a mayor of Aglanja in the past. So it, it has been very interesting to see how this discussion plays out and how even the Cyprus problem came into this discussion because Akel used as an excuse why they are not supporting Efixanthu of the Green Party, her positions on the Cyprus problem because they, they claim that she is uh, not uh, very fond of a federation. I think there is also a leadership change in the Green Party. Yes, there is a leadership change in the Green Party, which is 
again interesting to see how it's going to play out because you have the former head and the Yorgos Perdikis who was head for uh, many years he is now replaced by Haralan Bosteop M2 who is a very who is a person who is a very respectable a uh, politician. He has been an environmentalist for years. He used to be an, a commissioner of the environment. To be honest, in my opinion, it is not clear when he stands on many issues that are deeply political. Because for all these years, he has been mostly he has been mostly dealing with environmental issues, and he chose he consciously chose to deal with environmental issues. So it it will be interesting to see how this plays out uh, when it comes to even a change in. The the character of the Green Party, because one of the biggest criticisms of the Green Party um, is that it was spending way too much time uh, expressing views on the Cyprus problem. Uh, because they are very, they are basically, I mean, the Green Party is basically pretty hesitant towards the Bizonar Bicommunal Federation, at least under its previous leadership, because now that Theobem II has come, in a recent interview in Politis, he, he said that he's supported by Zonal by Communal Federation. So it will be very interesting to see how this plays out when it comes to a change in profile, because the Green Party has failed to take advantage of the massive rise in uh, Green Parties all across the globe. And so it will be interesting if Theobem II uh, becoming the leader of the party will now allow them to appeal to more people and even to, young, to a younger audience uh, for the May elections in 2021. As an outsider to the um, Greek Cypriot uh, politics, I had always, I have always found it quite interesting because everywhere in the world, Green parties are pro-migrants, pro-multiculturalism, pro you know, making peace, holistic, making peace with the environment. But when it comes to the Cyprus problem, the even the language that they, they follow have, have always has always been quite um, very uh, sharp. So let's see how this is going to play out. I am actually interested to hear your views about what's going on in Ismet nowadays, because Turkey and Greece are reportedly uh, negotiating on the issues uh, that are relevant to their uh, their um, areas, if you like, that, that, that directly affect them. And there are lots of gossips or even uh, commentaries that that Cyprus is not necessarily, Republic of Cyprus is not very, very necessarily very happy about this situation. Can you explain us what's going on? Well, it is kind of a very complex situation. So um, as I'm sure everyone knows, uh, Turkey issued an aftex uh, two weeks ago that it would send a survey vessel, uh, Oruch Race, in, uh, in the waters uh, near the island, the Greek island of Castellorizo. Uh, and as we all know, there is a dispute between Greece and Turkey as to uh, the, basically the, the, the limits of their continental shelf. And uh, I know that most Greek Cypriots and Greek Greeks do not like to refer to a dispute on the issue, but there is a dispute on the issue when two neighbors do not agree on the delimitation of their continental shelf, there is a de facto dispute on the issue, which was the view expressed by the U.S. State Department at some point. And 
again, it sparked a, a big reaction. So you had that uh, NAFTEX issued by Turkey, but Turkey, and then you had a, a military escalation in that both countries uh, sent their uh, navy uh, basically in those waters. And uh, this led to an increase in nationalist rhetoric in both countries and in Cyprus, of course, which is always swept by the nationalist sentiment that uh, that is present in Greece. And uh, since then, there has been a huge diplomatic attempt for de-escalation. You understand that we are talking about two NATO countries, NATO allies, and the possibility of a conflict between them, of a direct conflict between them, will have huge repercussions. And this is something that is often neglected when discussing uh, about the Greek-Turkish uh, disputes, is that there are so many things at stake when it comes to a possible conflict between two NATO allies that it is evident that uh, because of the stakes, uh, there will be a diplomatic uh, attempt behind the scenes uh, for de-escalation. And this is what happened in this case. You had Germany and uh, under the leadership of uh, Chancellor Angela, Angela Merkel intervening. She uh, uh, reportedly, uh, she made a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes attempts in order to reach the escalation. Germany is also the leader of, uh, of the EU at the moment. And you understand that they wouldn't want to have this uh, huge uh, conflict between uh, two so important countries uh, under its leadership uh, and its presidency. And then you also had countries like Spain, for instance. Spain has a huge interest. Uh, I support, I, I, as I understand, Spain is financially exposed to, to Turkey. And uh, they, they also made a, a big attempt for de-escalation. The, the Spanish foreign minister was in Ankara and in Greece last week. Uh, so there was this uh, rise. Basically, they, they reached this. They reached a step before breaking point, and then because of the interventions, things have de-escalated. Turkey never took its service, uh, service vessel in the waters near Cast Castellorizo in the end. They kept it in the port of Antalya. And we see uh, a change in rhetoric in the past uh, few days. Of course, you have Turkey insisting that they, they have a range of issues to discuss uh, with, um, with uh, Greece. And on the contrary, you have Greece claiming that the only issue that uh, is of dispute between the two countries is the issue of, uh, of the delimitation of their continental shelf. But uh, despite this, you have a clear, we have a clear de-escalation in, in the relations between the two countries. And as I just saw, I think the Minister of Defense, the Turkish Minister of Defense, just stated a while ago that Greek and Turkish officials will meet uh, in the coming days in order for uh, further discussions to take place. As you understand, all of these are taking place at a time when uh, Turkey just issued another NAFTEX for the very, a survey vessel Barbaros uh, to enter the waters uh, of the internationally recognized exclusive economic zone of Cyprus. Which are, uh, which also lie in an area that is claimed by the Turkey on behalf of the Turkish Cypriots as well. So it's interesting to see how whilst there has been a de-escalation in the relations between Greece and Turkey, this has not happened in the case of Cyprus. Uh, because you have Barbaros, the Servi vessel, uh, reaching uh, the waters of Cyprus. 
and uh, it is evidently Cyprus is being sidelined from this de-escalation and evidently a dialogue uh, will take place between Greece and Turkey whilst Cyprus uh, will be will be sidelined. Uh, it is interesting to note that uh, this is something that one should have expected. I mean, Turkey has made it clear many times that without a solution to the Cyprus problem, it, it will not accept to negotiate with Cyprus because the interlocutor of the Republic of Cyprus is the Turkish Cypriot community, according to Turkey. But it is mostly interesting to see how there was this shock in the Greek Cypriot community when the Greek foreign minister, uh, two days ago, he basically said that Greece cannot substitute the exercise of the sovereign rights of the Republic of Cyprus and that the Republic of Cyprus is an independent state that basically needs to deal with its own affairs when it comes to that. Andromahi, um, Republic of Cyprus foreign ministry, especially recently, has been playing a very bold role in trying to portray it to its own um, internal audience that Cyprus is very active diplomatically, making deals with the neighbors and everything. But it's also giving me the sense that maybe it is a little bit exaggerated. I mean, Cyprus is a small country at the end of the day. And of course, this doesn't justify any action against um, Cyprus just because it's a small country. But I think in, in, I, I was expecting that there will also be some criticism against the way uh, foreign policy is being managed in, in, in Republic of Cyprus. Are there such, such reactions or, or, or generally it is that uh, the ministry is always praised, particularly the, the minister himself? Well, it is interesting what you say, because exaggeration, I think it's an understatement. Uh, I believe that uh, we, we, we are witnessing the absolute crash of all the illusions that have been cultivated in the past uh, at least three years when it comes to the, um, the diplomatic alliances built by the Republic of Cyprus, uh, especially when you have Greece, which is uh, supposed to be the biggest ally of the Republic of Cyprus, when you have Greece in a sense, telling Cyprus, you know, you need to deal with your own affairs. We are not going to be dragged into uh, a conflict with Greece, with Turkey, because of Cyprus. So when Greece managed to reach the escalation with Turkey on its own affairs, it was no longer uh, interested to escalate the nationalist rhetoric for the sake of Cyprus. And in fact, the national security advisor of, uh, of uh, Greek Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis has explicitly stated on air uh, a few days ago that uh, the Oru Trace uh, was a different case from from the Barbaros that is now in the Cyprus exclusive economic zone. So they are clearly distancing themselves uh, from this tension. And uh, no, sadly, we do not see this criticism being raised in the Greek Cypriot Greek Cypriot media, and it is um, it is like the Republic of Cyprus foreign ministry has a sort of um, a, an excuse for everything when it comes to our uh, international standing, because there is always the, they will always go back to oh you know we are a small country there is so much we can do yes but at the same time there is this sense created when one follows the Greek Cypriot media that we are constantly coming 
uh, after developments and we are crying. We are constantly complaining about the lack of support from our allies. We are constantly complaining now the stories that we, there are leaks in the Greek Cypriot press that uh, the Republic of Cyprus is not satisfied with the reaction of the European Union because there was a different reaction in the case of the Greek-Turkish dispute and the different reaction when it comes to uh, the conflict between Turkey and Cyprus. So it is as if the Republic of Cyprus is always uh, coming after developments and complaining about it. It is as though we have no capacity to act uh, preemptively and to act beforehand. And one, all these questions should have been raised in the political discourse in the island, uh, you know, undermining the stand of the Republic of Cyprus, but on the contrary, for making a, a constructive criticism as to what is the course that we are following and maybe should we uh, change the course that we have chosen for the past at least three years. And just the other thing that I, here I would like to ask you on how this this reflects the Turkish Cypriot community because when the tensions were high between Greece and Turkey, there was an escalation in nationalist rhetoric uh, on the media, on the social media in Cyprus, and I'm wondering whether uh, and and in the Greek Cypriot community, and I'm wondering whether this was the the case in the Turkish Cypriot community as well. I think it is not as much as it is for the Greek Cypriot community. The fact that Turkey is directly managing its own policies when it comes to the area and the issues, the Turkish Cypriots are generally uh, not as much involved as the Greek Cypriots in in participating in this. Of course, the, all the pro-solution people are, are, are not happy with the developments. And of course, there are people who have experienced war in the past and uh, they are not happy with, with such tensions. Having said that, I think nowadays we are more concentrated on issues relevant to COVID-19 um, and then um, the elections. But also there was this new law that was passed in our um, parliament that uh, regulates the, um, brings some regulations for social media because there was no such regulation in the past. I'm not talking about the one in Turkey. The one I'm talking is a separate one in, 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 in our community. It's basically a very basic one, including, um, you know, against child pornography or against uh, death threats. What are the things that needs to be done that, for example, the new sites should have their own names and owners to be clearly registered if they're, you know, if they're doing some kind of a promotion somewhere or broadcast. So, but again, um, there were some criticisms by civil society that certain parts of that are not very clear and then likely to create um, intervention into the democratic rights of the citizens. And uh, interestingly enough, Akinju, uh, because it passed um, jointly, because it passed all together by all members of the, the, the parliament in the north, um, and uh, all four parties voted in favor of it. Akinji also approved it. And then he was also criticized by certain civil society organizations as well. And then he recently used uh, it for the first time because there was this uh, crazy guy who went on yes. YouTube. Yes, what and, happened with that? And he was... He was uh, he was in the Turkish airport in Istanbul and couldn't fly because of the report that he has was on 
the telephone and not on paper and he, he, he has like a huge followers base because he's doing bodybuilding and then he comes from um, originally from England years ago uh, but he's a Turkish Cypriot so he started swearing at Akinji which is Akinji has nothing to do with it so um, there were of course um, it, it was it was not necessary for him to really react because I know that to that because I know that Akinji has been receiving death threats all his family members his daughters living in the US, living in, in Turkey, in different parts of the world, his family members, they all had to take some precautions. And I understand that he got a little bit sensitive about these attacks to, to, to him anymore. But eventually the guy apologized and he Akaji decided not to press charges against him and the case is closed. But um, so these are the issues that we have been um, discussing recently. Um, no, the Greek Cypriots, they were ready to, they launched a social media war. I think they took, uh, they, they threw the Turkish vessels out of the waters of uh, uh, near Greece through a social media war. It was uh, impressive to watch, to be honest, especially for an island that has just suffered from a war. I mean, the war mongering that was exhibited on social media in the past uh, three weeks has been astonishing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an, on this point, it, it makes you think that it really is not about being Greek, Turkish, Greek Cypriot, Turkish Cypriot, or however you define yourself. It is, it really is about being a human. And uh, it is striking to see how when, because of the whims of uh, aggressive or, uh, or political powers that are, uh, you know, that are eager for escalation of tension, no matter what that uh, power is, it is interesting to see how the people are so easily swayed into this nationalist rhetoric and into this warmongering setting. And I, I was honestly watching everything with, uh, with astonishment because there is really nothing beautiful in war. And it is incredible for a country that has just so recently been through a war. I mean, there were discussions on the media and on TV about uh, what will happen in case a war between Greece and Turkey takes place and what will happen if Cyprus was also involved. And it is really shocking to watch people being so easily swayed because at the end of the day, it is not the politicians that are going to fight a war. It is our brothers, our sisters, our partners. And it is up to us to oppose this rhetoric. And it is up to us to call for dialogue, to call for negotiations. And we live in this distorted setting in which all those people who call for a peaceful way out of the situation are branded as traitors or as lacking in patriotism. Let's uh, finalize with light notes as we started. Yes. Um, you know that it's a tradition in the Turkish Cypriot community. The younger one kiss the hand of the older one for Bayram. Yes, but you cannot kiss anyone now, Kemal. Now there is COVID. Yeah, I don't it, know what you're talking about. <laughs> but you know, if there were no, no COVID at the moment, then, then we would be able to uh, easily cross without uh, complications. It would be nice for you to kiss my hand and put it on your forehead as a sign of, of, of respect. <laughs> and I would do it some other time um, as a sign of uh, an old tradition of, of men kissing hand of a woman and then it will be even. But uh, on that note, <laughs> um, that's uh, I think all for today. 
and uh, hopefully good we'll be... yes enjoy your day and uh, enjoy your celebrations kiss as many respectful old people as you find we don't kiss anymore <laughs> we have the covid <laughs> yes actually there is a spike in cases in the south and the uh, things are uh, getting tighter to be honest so, we have we yeah. had similar spikes as well because but not as many as as it is in the south i guess but will be but we'll it's be the following. airports and not the crossing points so <laughs> yeah, it's we'll make this uh, we'll make this discussion again uh, in the next uh, meeting so take care everybody Thank you very much. Enjoy your day. Bye, Ramlash. <laughs>